Rock it. We'll just, um, when the countdown's done, we'll start playing. I'll speak, and we'll just roll on into it. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's not all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and his grace is free And the good news is I know that he Can do for you what he's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus And let my Jesus change your life
He's given Jesus Christ his son. Give thanks. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, church. From whatever time you're watching us and joining us, from wherever you're joining us from, we're glad that you're here. And my hope and my prayer is that we would simply worship the one true God, Jesus the Christ, who is holy, who is righteous, who is pure, who is true, who causes all things to work together for good for those that love him. So join me as we sing, as we celebrate, as we pray, as we hear the spoken word preached, and I pray that God would have his way in your life and in my life seek to glorify the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Let's sing together. Gathered at the highest throne, welcomed by a melody, an anthem I have always known, a song that's always been
angels fall, face down on the floor, all to echo holy is the
chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says you will be saved. And so as we sing, as we continue to celebrate I pray that that truth would resonate in our hearts, church, that we would know that for those who believe today that you have been changed, you have been set apart, you have been called holy by the one who is holy. And if you have never, ever heard the gospel of Christ preached, or if you have never accepted him, I pray today or tonight, whatever it is, I pray right here, right now, that you would hear the voice of Christ and you would say, yes, Lord, and you would be saved. Let's continue to sing. We believe that it conquered death. We believe. 
Hello, everyone. Uh, can you believe it? Two weekends in a row. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened around here, but here we are. So, but hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be back together this coming weekend. Uh, 9.30 and 11, uh, back to normal, that's the hope at least. But wherever you are, I hope you're having a, a great weekend. Uh, before we jump into God's Word together, I have a few announcements I want to throw your way just so you can know what's going on. And again, stay connected even though we're uh, not together uh, here today. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Number one, youth parents. We're going to have a youth parent meeting January 30th, directly after the 11 o'clock service in the FLC. Don't forget that. Second of all, we have some equip classes coming up. Equip classes are classes that help teach you big ideas of the Christian faith. Some classes that we have coming up. Uh, Journey into God's Word. You want to know how to read and study the Bible? This class is going to teach you how to do it. Uh, some marriage classes created to be his helpmate. That's for wives. Created to need a helpmate. That's for husbands. Uh, sign up for either of those to teach you how to walk as a biblical wife or a biblical husband. Uh, and then also core Christianity. Going to teach you the big ideas of the Christian faith and how to walk those out. For all those classes, text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298 to sign up for that. Just check the class you want to be a part of and hit submit. And lastly, for our men's ministry, a couple of things coming up for our guys. One, our men are hosting a movie night. That's going to be on uh, uh, January 29th, Saturday, January 29th. So if you want to be a part of that, text MOVIE uh, to sign up you and your family to come and be a part of that. And then also for our guys on February 5th, Saturday, February 5th, we're going to have a men's breakfast, 8 a.m. You want to sign up for that, text BREAKFAST to our number to get you set up there. And for all the other announcements, download our app, Southview Baptist Church, iTunes or Google Play, the app. That's going to help you stay connected. All the announcements, that's also going to help you do things like find a journey group and sign up for various things. Give online, which uh, being gone for the last couple of Sundays, that's important. You can give through the app. Also on the app, you'll be able to find the sermon notes, not just for today, but every Sunday. So you can tap on the sermon note tab on your app, download the sermon notes for today, and follow along. All right, so having said that, let's do that. Grab your app, tap open the sermon notes, grab your Bible, find James chapter 1 together, and let's jump in. All right, so we're going through the book of James. And as we go through the book of James, what we're saying is the big idea that we want to see is a faith that saves you will also change you. What we mean by that is when you become a Christian, when you believe by faith in Christ, you're going to be different. You're going to be changed. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to bear spiritual fruit. If you say you're a Christian, you're going to live like a Christian. And James is here to help you do that. James is about practically living this thing out, right? How do you practically live the life of someone who's been changed by Jesus. Today, as we get into James 1, what we're going to see is how do we as Christians deal with temptation, which is a huge part of the Christian faith, right? If we want to grow as a Christian, we want to mature as a Christian, answering the question of how we deal with temptation is a massive massive thing that we want to wrestle with. And by God's grace, the Lord deals with that in James chapter 1. All right, so let's pick it up together. James 1 verse 13. All right, let's just start right here. James 1 verse 13, it says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, stop. If you got a Bible, 
You got a pen, circle the word when. Let no one say when he is tempted. Notice, it does not say if, it says when. When he is tempted. Being a Christian does not mean you will not be tempted. You will be. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that temptation is inevitable. It will happen. In fact, Jesus himself was tempted, which shows us as well that temptation isn't a sin. It's not a sin when you get tempted. If you give in to that temptation, that is a sin. But being tempted itself isn't a sin. One of the real ploys of Satan is to make you feel condemned for something that's not even a sin. Being tempted isn't a sin. But what we want to address is how should we as Christians deal with it? How should we confront it? What should we do when we're tempted? So as we go through James 1, we're going to see five big truths that God desires us to know about how to confront temptation, how to deal with temptation, how to have victory in temptation. And then we're going to come around on the back end, tie it all together, and see how Jesus is amazing and awesome and glorious and makes all of this possible. All right, so James 1, 13 again, here's our first big idea. If you're going to have victory over temptation, if you're going to have spiritual growth in temptation, first truth is this, we got to stop blaming. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, uh, with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So James, if, you, if you're reading your Bible, there's some quotations there. So either James is directly quoting someone inside this church who's actually saying this. It's not my fault that I'm sinning. God's the one who's putting temptations in my life. Or it's sort of hypothetical, right? It's just sort of assume someone thinks this sort of thing. Regardless, what he tells us is this. Bottom line, your temptation isn't God's fault. God cannot be tempted, and God doesn't do the tempting. The big idea that, jo- uh, that James 1.13 is trying to get across here is stop blaming other people and situations, God, whatever, for your temptation. If you're not willing to take responsibility for a temptation, you'll never have victory over said temptation. But from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, this has been our pull. Right? Think about Adam and Eve. They're tempted to eat the fruit, and they do it. God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what happened? And what does Adam do? He not only throws his wife under the bus, he throws God under the bus, right? That woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then God goes to Eve. Eve, why did you do this? And what does she do? She says, no, 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 the serpent deceived me. That's why I did it, right? She's totally, the devil made me do it. From the very beginning, we've been blaming We blame God, right? In verse 13, God is the one who tempted me. God is the one who did that. But even broader than that, think about all the ways we blame God for temptations. God just made me this way. I can't help it. Yes, I'm I'm fearful, but God made me a worrier. This is who I am. Yeah, I, I can get angry, but God just made me with a short fuse. That's just who I am. Right? Or we'll say things like, well, I asked God to take it away from me, and he didn't do it. I asked God to take away this anger, and he didn't do it. I asked God to empower me to forgive, and he didn't do it. I asked God to take away this lust, and he didn't do it. We're blaming God. Right? We blame other people. That person made me mad. 
Right? That woman dressed seductively and she made me lust. We're looking for ways, we're looking for people, we're looking for situations to blame. Well, yes, I get mad and yell and blow up at my kids, but that's just the way my parents were. I just learned it from them. That's how I grew up, and at least I'm not as bad as they were. What is all of this? It's blaming. It's shifting responsibility. If you can't be responsible for your temptation, you're never going to have victory in that temptation. Temptation didn't come from God. It's not his fault. So where did it come from? That brings us to our next big idea. Where does temptation come from and how do we see it happening? We must be cautious of our own desires. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted. It doesn't come from God, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So these words, lured and enticed, are fishing and hunting terms. Right? The idea of a fish is swimming along and it sees some bait over here, so it deviates from its path and goes after the bait and takes a bite, not knowing that a hook is on the inside. Or an animal smells something uh, to eat and goes after that and sees a free meal sitting there and goes for it, not knowing that a trap is underneath and is going to ensnare him and lead to his destruction. And it says here that we are led away, we're enticed, we're lured away by our own desire. The word desire means a, a craving, a longing, a passion inside of you, a scratch, an itch that you want to scratch, right? You're just a, a pull towards something. So what it's saying here is this. Where does temptation come from? There are desires inside of you inside of you that lure you and entice you towards your temptations. So this means a few things. Number one is this. If you're going to truly have victory over temptation, you have to start looking inside, not outside. Right? We are lured and enticed by our own internal desire. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. Right? I hear people say things like, well, every time I get on social media, I'm really tempted to be jealous, so I'm getting off social media. Or the people where I work really get me to go do things that I shouldn't do, so I'm going to change jobs. Now, maybe getting off social media or changing your job is a wise thing to do, but what I want you to understand is that isn't going to fix your temptation problem because they're not the source of your temptation. What's inside of you is the source of your temptation. It's in here, not out there. You are enticed and led away by your own internal desire. We must be cautious and aware of our own desire. Again, that person did not make you get mad. The truth is, you had an internal pulling towards anger already, and that person doing that thing was just the avenue it needed for it to spring up out of you. That woman did not make you lust. A pull towards lust was already in your heart. And when she dressed the way that she did, it was just the avenue that you needed for what was already inside of you to come out. They're not the problem. You're your problem. 
It's internal, not external. We spend so much time and so much energy and so much effort trying to manipulate the outside circumstances so that we will not be tempted and not understanding the problems inside. It's like one of those cheesy 80s horror movies, right? The babysitter's on the phone with the operator. The operator says, the call is coming from inside the house. The killer is inside the house. The problem is inside you, not out there. So that means this. If we're going to actually have victory and temptation, we've got to deal with our hearts. We've got to deal with what's on the inside. Uh, look in Psalms. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Listen to what King David says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's David asking God to do? Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Search deep on the inside. See if there's anything in me that is wayward and wrong and grievous and wicked. Whatever desires, whatever pulls, whatever's inclinations are in me, Look, find them, show me, and pluck them out. David understands the reason he sinned is not because Bathsheba, it's because of himself. And the reason you sin is not because of them, it is because of you. And if you're serious about confronting your temptation and getting victory in your temptation, doing something about your temptations, then you've got to do the hard work of getting on your face, Bible open, before God, asking him to search your heart just like David did. Show me what's wrong with me and pluck it out, purify it. I'll give you a resource for this. A friend of mine by the name of Greg Frizzell wrote a book called Return to Me. It's exactly what this is about. It's a 21-day journey to searching your heart, asking God to search your heart. I encourage you to pick it up. You can find it at Amazon. It's going to take you through the scriptures and ask them very pointed questions to cause you to search your heart, really examine where you are, see all the desires in you that could lead to temptation and pluck that stuff out before it manifests itself. I can't encourage you more highly to do this. You're really serious about getting rid of temptation. You're really serious about conquering temptation. you got to search your heart. The issue is not out there. The issue is in here. Do the work. Jump into God's word. Prayerfully ask him to search you. And when he shows you things... Remove it. So we got to stop blaming. We've got to be cautious and aware of our own desire and ask God to do something about that. Number three, we got to know that sin brings death. Here's what I mean. What's going to help us in overcoming sin is us understanding kind of the process of how this works, right? Desire is going to lead to sin, and sin is going to lead to death. So we saw verse 14. I'm going to read that again just real quick. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, 
gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here's what he is describing here. Um, he's describing a relationship. All right, you have a guy and a girl, and they see each other, and they think, you know, each other is cute, right? He likes her, she likes him. And so they start talking and flirting, right? They get each other's number, they start texting one another, right? And send her a text, hey, why don't you come over to the house, and let's watch a movie, let's hang out. So she comes over, they spend time together. The more time they spend together, the more they flirt with one another, the closer they get, and it gets closer and closer and closer and closer. They begin to be uh, more and more uh, intimate with one another. And then eventually physical intimacy takes place. A baby is conceived, and nine months later a child is born. And this is the way he's describing sin. There is a desire, and you flirt with that desire. You nurture that desire. You, you allow that desire to hang out. You let it stay there and be a part. And, and you're, you're not wanting to be serious. You're not trying to give yourself to this thing, but you do just let it hang out. You do let it just be a part of it. You do let it stay there. And eventually, the more you hang out, the more you flirt with it, the closer you're going to get with it, the closer you're going to get with it, the closer you're going to get with it. And eventually, you're going to be intimate with this desire. Sin is going to be conceived in your heart. It's going to be birthed out. And then the sin is going to kill you. Think about it like this. You, you get offended. Right? Someone says something or does something. Maybe it's a legitimate sin against you. Someone truly wrongs you. Whatever happens, something happens. Instead of immediately forgiving... Forgiving that person, shutting that down, and saying, nope, I'm done. I forgive you in Jesus' name. I'm over and done with it. It's buried. It's finished. It's over. I'm moving on with my life. Instead of doing that, you allow that hurt to stay and you nurse it. You let it stay around. You find yourself driving down the road having imaginary conversations about what you would say to that person if you could have another conversation with them. You're nursing it. You're flirting with it. You're letting it stick around. And eventually, the more you do that, the more intimate you're going to become with this desire. It's going to happen more often and more often and more often. And this desire is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, you become intimate with this desire. Bitterness is birthed in your heart. And eventually, that bitterness bursts out in birth. And it destroys everything. It taints you, it taints your relationships, it taints your family. You view everything through the lens of bitterness now. And it couldn't help but come out. Because again, my wife has had four children. Um, and, uh, and every single one of them, there eventually came a point where that baby was coming out. Right For our first one, we had a little premature labor, so they put her on bed rest, doing all they could to have the baby stay in a little while longer. But eventually there came a point where she looked at me and she said, hospital now. Right? This is happening. Eventually there comes a point where there's nothing physically or medically you can do to keep this child in. This baby's being born. Same thing with this desire and sin and sin bursting out in you. When you allow this desire to stay and you flirt with it and you allow it to stay and you nurse it and you let it stick around, eventually sin will get birthed inside of you. And it's just a matter of time. That sin is going to be born out. It's going to happen. 
The reason, again, we have outbursts of anger is because that, that inclination, that desire, that push to anger has stayed and been there and lingered and we've nursed it and it was just looking for an opportunity to be born. The reason we struggle with lust and lust comes out is because the desire for lust has stayed in our hearts and eventually it just comes flying out. Desire leads to sin and sin will lead to death. The great Puritan theologian John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What he means is either you put sin to death in your life or it's going to put you to death. And when do you do that? you got to go back and do it in the beginning flirting stage. right? Don't let it stick around. Don't let it stay. Don't let it take up residence. Don't let it move in and sleep on the couch. You've got to kill it early. Put it to death and let it be done. Sin is going to bring death. So you've got to kill it in your heart before it ever has a chance to get there. Next thing I want you to see, big truth we must understand is that we have to trust God to give us all that we need. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So verse 17 says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. So it's interesting, in, in the Greek, there's two different words for Greek there. Uh, it, it means, the first one means the act of giving, and the second one means the, second one means, um, the actual gift that was given. So basically, here's what verse 17 is saying. God always gives you the perfect gift in the perfect way. Here's why that matters for temptation. There are two big ways misunderstanding God as the great giver can mess us up in temptation. Number one is this. Oftentimes people give in to temptation because they believe God is holding out on them and they have to go and do this if they're going to experience what they want to experience. Right Again, go back to Genesis chapter 3. When Eve ate the fruit, what was the deception that Satan the serpent brought towards her? She said, well, God says if we eat that tree, we're going to die. What does the serpent say? No, 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 no. You're not going to die. God's just holding out on you. He knows that if you eat that, you're going to be wise. You want to be wise, don't you? He's trying to convince her that there's something good out there that God's not wanting you to have. So you've got to take a step away. When we don't understand that God is the perfect giver of all good things. Every good thing I need is going to come from God so I can trust him with it. When we don't understand that, we step away from him and give in to temptations. Right? We, we go after unbiblical divorces. Why? Because we think I'm not happy and I need to be happy. And if I know God says I'm supposed to stay in this marriage. And all my Christian friends say I've got to stay in this marriage. And I understand that. But I'm not happy here. I'll never be happy here. And God, if he keeps me in this, he's going to keep me unhappy. So I've got to step out so I can be happy over there. You think God is holding out on you. So you've got to step out from under him as the great giver. And go try to find it yourself. Uh, the second way 
that misunderstanding God and his gifts can lead to temptation is that we'll take a good gift from God and we'll distort it and use it for our own sinful desires. All right, so think about food. Food is a good gift from God, right? He gave it to us to enjoy, to, to, for our sustenance, for our health, for our nutrition. It's a good gift. But we can take that good gift, we can twist it and distort it, and we can use that good gift to satisfy sinful desires in us and destroy the whole thing. Think about rest. Rest is a gift from God. He gave it to us so that we can be strengthened, so that we can have help, so that we can be rejuvenated. But we can take that gift of sleep, of rest, distort it and use it for our own sinful desires. And what was a good thing now becomes laziness and slothfulness, and it ends in our destruction. Sex. Sex is a good gift from God given to us to be enjoyed, to lead to greater intimacy, for procreation within covenant marriage. But we can take that good gift, distort it, use it to pursue our own desires. And what was a good gift now becomes immorality and it kills us. We can take a good gift. We can twist it and distort it. We can use it for sinful ways. And it ends up bad. Understanding God is the great giver. Understanding that we must trust God as the one who gives us all good things in all perfect ways is massively important when it comes to temptation because either you'll think that God is holding out on you, he's not giving you what you really need, so you got to go over here to get it, or you'll take what he gave you, twist it and warp it, and use it to pursue your own sinful desires. And look back at verse 16. Look at how this begins. How does verse 16 begin? Do not be deceived. Here's a quick Bible study note. Anytime you see the phrase, do not be deceived, circle it, mark it, arrow, highlight it, take special note. Because whenever God says the line, do not be deceived, whatever he's about to say is something that you are probably being deceived about. Anytime God feels the need to say, don't be deceived about this, it's probably something that humans, very likely it's a lie that we're believing. And he makes a point of saying, don't be deceived about this, my beloved brothers. God is the giver of all good gifts. He gives good things. He gives it in a perfect way. Trust him. Don't try to go get it yourself. Don't try to warp the good things that he's given you. He's the great giver. Trust him. Right? And he ends in verse 17 with these good gifts are coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That coming down means a continual coming down. In other words, God is constantly pouring good gifts down onto you. And he's never going to change. He's never going to alter that. He's never going to quit that. The faucet of the good gifts from God pouring down onto you never gets turned off. So you can trust him. Trust him. He's the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And he always gives them through this in the perfect way. So trust him. Don't go after the temptations that are in you. You trust him. And last, big truth that God wants us to see when it comes to fighting temptation is that 
We must live out our new birth. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he, that's God, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That line brought us forth literally means to be born again, to be born new. It said, according to the gracious will of God, he allowed you to be born again, made new by the word of God, becoming active and real in your life. The spirit of God, bringing the word of God alive, drawing you to salvation and making you new. The big idea is this. Through faith in Christ, you have been made totally and completely 100% new. What's going to empower us to resist the temptations that come at us is to understand that that's not who I am anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is throwing out a whole list of sins and and sinners. He says, these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. These people aren't Christians and they're not going to heaven, right? People who are adulterers and homosexuals and idolaters and thieves and revilers. He just goes through this whole list. And he says, such were some of you. That's who you used to be, but you're not any longer. Now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. Now you're new in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The point is this. We can resist temptation because we understand that's not who we are anymore. We're new. We're different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says... The old is all gone in you. You've been made a brand new creation in Christ. The old is gone. All new has come in. You're not who you used to be. You're new. You've been born again. You've been brought forth by the gracious will of God to a new and living hope. So that you can live out the realities of what Jesus Christ has placed in you through faith in him. This is who you are now, brothers and sisters. This is your reality. So when we think about these these massive truths, the fact that all of these things are real in us, we can stop blaming other people and be responsible for our own sin, our own temptation. We are cautious of the desires that are in our own heart because we understand it starts inside, not outside. We understand the process of sin, that desire is going to lead to sin and sin is going to lead to death. So we cut that thing off way early in the flirting process. We don't let that take root in our hearts. We kill it early. We understand that God is the giver of all good gifts, so we just trust him to give it to us. I don't need to go find that on my own. I don't need to give into that temptation to get to get enjoyment or happiness or peace or love or contentment or fulfillment. I trust God to give me that. And I've been given a brand new life so I can live out a new birth in Jesus Christ. How is all this possible? How do we do this? I want to share one more scripture with you. It's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. How is this possible? How, How do we live this out? Look at Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, he's speaking of Jesus here, 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So verse 15 here. Talking about Jesus. And this is amazing. This is what separates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Every other religious system in the world says, Here are a list of things to not do, so don't do them. Christianity is totally different. Christianity is God understands, yes, He gave the rules and said, Don't do them, but He understands you're never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to accomplish that. So God Himself and Jesus as the Son came to earth. And it says here in verse 15, he didn't just come to earth floating through life. He came to earth fully God, yes, and 100% fully human. And as a human, he endured, verse 15, every temptation, but he was in every respect tempted as we are. The idea is this, there is not a temptation you've ever experienced or will ever experience that Jesus himself didn't endure. He was tempted in every single way and he passed everyone, 100% perfection. He was tempted completely and obeyed perfectly. But then he went to the cross. And even though he was sinless and never disobeyed, he died on the cross as if he did. He lived the life that you and I could never live and then died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he did that to do two things. Save you from your sin. Remove the sin from you. Remove the barrier, sin barrier that separated you and the Father. And then second, empower you to be able to now live out the Christian life here on earth as you face these temptations. And how do we do it? Verse 16 tells us, let us then with confidence, some of your translations say with boldness, right? You don't go sheepishly to Jesus. Jesus desires that you come boldly. Are you tempted? Then you run hard and fast to Jesus. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is amazing, brothers and sisters. How do we experience deliverance from temptation. We run to Jesus. We run to Jesus. Yes, we're called to do these other things. We're called to take responsibility. We're called to search our own hearts. We're called to see that sin is going to kill you, so you better kill it early. We're called to see that God is the great giver. We're called to live out this new life, and all that is true. But you can't do any of that apart from Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me. Run to me. And I will give you grace and mercy and help in your time of need. So then how do we do this? How does this work? I'll give you another book to consider reading. By uh, 
a man by the name of Thomas Chalmers, um, and the name of the book is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Uh, it's an old book. Uh, Chalmers is, again, one of the Puritan greats. And so it's a book you're going to have to read a couple of times. You're going to have to read a page again and again to get, what did he say? But it's fantastic. And here's the big idea with what Chalmers is saying in the expulsive power of a new affection. What he says is this. We have sin. We have temptation. And we don't want to give in to it. All right? We'll just assume that. We don't want to give in. So then what do we do? What Chalmers says is simply seeing that that temptation is bad is not enough for you not to do it. Right? We do a thousand things that we know we should not do and are bad for us. He also says really, really, really wanting to not do it isn't enough. There are a thousand things we all really, 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 really want to do that we don't do. Or things that we really, really, really don't want to do that we end up doing. What Chalmers says is this. The reason that you give in to those temptations to sin is because ultimately you love those things more than you love Jesus. And I know that feels hard to hear, but I want you to follow me just for a moment. Because what he says is spot on. What he says is, ultimately, you do what you love. You do the thing that you're devoted to. You do the thing that you delight in. You do the thing that you have the greatest affection for. So just think practically. I mean, we're not through January yet, and let's be honest, um, there are many of us that uh, you're not even through January, and you're already hitting the snooze and not going to the gym. So why do you do that? The truth is, the reason that you do that is because right now you love sleeping more than you love sweating. You do what you love to do. And right now, you love sleeping. If you're going to do something, you have to love it if you're going to keep with it. Right? You can make yourself do it for a little bit. Willpower will get you a little bit. But eventually, if you don't love doing it, if it doesn't delight you, if you don't have affection for it, you're not going to keep doing it. And he says, this is true for the Christian life. If you want to see true freedom from temptation, then you've got to grow your love for Jesus. And what he says is this. So you have these two things. You have temptation to sin and Jesus. Right now, you give in to temptation to sin because you love this more than you love Jesus. And I know, again, that's hard to hear. We want to push back and go, no, that's not true. And I would just ask you to look at the objective evidence of your life. Yes, you may think this is bad. And yes, you may understand it's bad. And yes, you may really, really, really not want to do it. But at the end of the day, you do what you delight. And you just enjoy this. So how you're going to turn from that is not by not doing the thing or focusing on the thing, but by focusing on Christ and growing and increasing your love and affection for him. And what happens is this, what Chalmers says is, as your love for Jesus grows and grows and grows and grows, it's going to crowd out these lesser loves so that you don't give in to those temptations anymore because your love for Jesus is so great. As we look to Jesus... And stare in his wonderful face, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to turn from temptation? Don't focus on the temptation. You focus on Jesus. You turn to Jesus.
So how do we increase our affection for Jesus? How do we stoke our love for Jesus? Well, think about you, if you're married, your spouse, or, or if you're in a relationship, the person that you really enjoy spending time with, how did you grow in love with that person? You spent time with that person, right? You were together. You hung out together. You spent time together. And the more you did that, the more your affections grew for them. Same with Jesus. You want to grow in affection for Jesus? Then you must spend time with Jesus, Spend time in the Word and in prayer. Spend time on your face asking Jesus to do this work in you. Also, you grow in your affection and love for Jesus by spending time with people who love Jesus. The more time I spend with people who love Jesus, the more I love Jesus. The more I spend time with people who don't love Jesus and love the world, the more I find myself loving the world. Paul says, bad company does corrupt good character. Brothers and sisters, this is available for you. It is yours. And I ask you today, turn to Christ. See him as more beautiful and amazing than anything this world can give. Trust in him. Grow your affection in him. And let him be the greatest joy and treasure in your life. Jesus, do this in us for your glory. Only you can do this. Stir our affections for you, Lord. We trust you. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. It's hard to see the storm blowing over anytime soon. It's hard to hear any hope in the headlines. Well, how to know what's true? We've been trusting in the broken to make us whole but there's no new rescue coming it's still the one we've always known we need the healer we don't need another healer